welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are continuing with our 80s lady series with Terms of Endearment. Follows hard to please Aurora looking for love and her daughter's family problems. Uh, mm, this movie is um, a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. <sighs> well, there's a lot and I'm sure there's a lot to talk about. It's a lot. There, there's it, this movie is just a lot. <laughs> and in order to get into all of that lot, I feel like we're gonna need a guest. Who is our guest? Our guest is the amazingly wonderful, awesome TTRPG player extraordinaire of Christmas Tide, Ohio. It's Kate Harlow. Kate, <gasps> welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me back. Uh- co-GM and co-creator of Christmas Tide Ohio. Thank you very much. Thank you for being here. Kate, had you ever seen this movie before? I had not. Wow. Same. How, how do you feel about this movie? <laughs> um. So I didn't know that you hadn't seen it before, and I was fully ready to call you out for assigning me a movie about a mom who is a fucking helicopter and emotional <laughs> manipulator. <laughs> I knew you were gonna yell at me about that. Okay, I just, I just, I just, I just want to say, uh, if you don't know this, Kate and I are like BFS forever. <laughs> we are pod wives for life. <laughs> so I knew Kate was gonna yell at me for that as I'm watching this movie. Kate's gonna yell at me so hard. I didn't know. I didn't know. No, I'm not mad now that I know you didn't know, because I know that you are suffering every bit as much as or more than me. Uh, let's not qualify or pay. This blows. <laughs> <laughs> the mother-daughter relationship is quite fraught. Quite. Quite. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's hard. Let's start up top. Mm-hmm. I feel like this movie is wholly unbelievable for about five different reasons. Part of the problem with that is that it's the first of its kind in a lot of ways. This is this is James L. Brooks' first major movie. And the man has gone on to have a widely illustrious career. Now, granted, he'd done sitcoms yeah. like crazy. This is his directorial debut. But like, as good as it gets which is something that this movie definitely reminded me of, is about 8,000 times better and more nuanced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, um, <laughs> I, this movie is trying to do so many fucking things. The way people talk about this movie is like, it's the best movie ever. Yeah. That's the way people talk about this. Yeah. Which, for the record, is why I haven't seen it. It's not like I read a synopsis and said, you know, I'm going to avoid this forever. Same. When somebody says to me, this is so good. Oh, my God. I'm like, cross that off my list. No, thank you. (laughs) I'm not interested anymore. I think it was just one of those movies that, one, because it was talked about like that. And because I knew that someone died and I figured it was the daughter. I was like, I just don't care. (laughs) i don't don't care to see a movie that is the best movie ever where the daughter dies i just don't care and then it's referenced in so many other pieces of media i was just like you know what good i'm good but here we are here we are my only connection with the movie ever was people being like you have to have a box of kleenexes ready no no there is one scene that got me and it wasn't because of anything the movie did. It's just putting yourself in that scenario that got me. And that's when she has to say goodbye to her sons. Like sure. that that gets me. I will okay, I will admit that that was like it pulled on the heartstrings. It pulled on yeah. the heartstrings. What got me more was the actor who played the younger son. Uh-huh. So good. Yes. yes. Absolutely. He, no, that's yes. what's That good. little kid broke my heart. Uh-huh. Precious. 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 That was about the one selling point for me. <laughs> I'm a cold, heartless woman. That's why I love you. The whole time I'm watching it, though, I go, I don't even care about her daughter. I just want the movie about Aurora and and the astronaut. I just want Shirley MacLaine and Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of. 
part of this problem is they put two powerhouses and they tried to make the movie about both actresses when Deborah mm-hmm. Winger should have been a supporting role. For me, like if I'm watching this movie, I'm like, I would like less of her character and more of her mom because that's the more interesting story to me, what we see on screen. See, I think it's so I think the problem is the actual story is their relationship. The problem is their relationship doesn't change. Mm-hmm. No the relationship is super codependent and they both hate each other for that yep it's just it it changes which one hates each other sometimes mom hates her because of how codependent she is on her and that she doesn't need her sometimes daughter hates mom because of how codependent daughter is on mom and she hates her for that It, it just that that's the only thing that switches back and forth what's more interesting is if they both have that dynamic and then through these them both Growing apart, daughter leaving, making her own choices, going through life, going through her own bouts of motherhood. Her relationship with her mom changes and it becomes healthier, more respectful. And they still get to keep those parts of their relationship that they love. Because like the one scene that I truly loved was when she comes back and mom is like, oh my God, it took this long for me to realize that sex can be so much fun. And she's like, good for you, mom. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it's like, imagine if daughter hadn't gotten sick and they could have maintained like some healthy boundaries, like, which I think they definitely needed to not be in the same state. Yeah, definitely. But like, this is, this is a glimpse of what they could have had. Mm-hmm. That's a more interesting story about both of them. He pushes it off a cliff by raising the stakes so high. Yeah. He really does. I don't want to downplay, I don't want to relegate Deborah Winger to a supporting role. That is fair. For the story, because I get that. let's also be clear, how often do we have a movie where it's very equal between the two actresses? And one of those actresses is Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. <laughs> They're both fucking incredible. They like, are. they are. Yeah. And they deserve every accolade they get. It's just, Man, you it for me it really felt like because you had such strong leads, mm-hmm. uh, either you do have to do what you say and thread that needle with the writing yeah. so well, which mm-hmm. he didn't, no. or you pick one or the other. When you get yeah. to the editing room and you realize you don't have the strong, you've got to decide which story you want to tell then. Sure. And 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 in that instance, I, yeah, Shirley MacLaine's story is more interesting because of how it's presented. Because her yeah. character is presented in in a more interesting way. I mean, we the, when we first meet her, she's freaking out about her child and not breathing, um, which is terrifying. And totally understand that thinking. Um, and then she's like, "Oh, she's fine." Which yeah. after she cries, <laughs> which you know, if she's there, woken up to cry. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And then that just keeps continuing. And then, you know, then she meets this hot dude who she's like totally appalled by, but also like, oh, I want you to want me. But like only the way that I want you to want me. She's a very specific parameters that she will allow this to happen. And it doesn't hurt that Jack Nicholson is right in his wheelhouse in this role. Oh, he's 100% in his wheelhouse. But there were so many like fantastic male actors that I felt were not used to their peak. Yep. Like, I know we're talking ladies of the 80s right now. Like, I, sure, I know. Totally. I know. But, like... Her her trio of gentlemen were just wasted. Her trio of gentlemen were wasted. I, like, I saw the cast list and I was like, Danny DeVito's there? Fuck yes. Yeah. Wasted. Totally wasted. wasted. John Lithgow. Wasted. I want to know more about his life. Oh, my God. I want I want the movie about his life with his weird, frigid wife. Yeah. What's wrong with her? Like, what's actually wrong with her? Because it's not just her back. It's not just her back. Who's she having an affair with? That's what I want to know. Yeah. That's awesome. Also, John Lithgow, always. always he's such a sweetheart. It. Such a sweetheart. And he's beautiful in this movie. And then they he's just so end it because part of it is you telegraph every bit of this mm-hmm. because, and again, it being a cultural touchstone for mm-hmm. a lot of people and it being referenced so many times, most people know where it's headed. Sure. So then you realize then you realize that the writer cut it off at the knees. Yes. He cuts that relationship out because he knows he has to get to the big emotional payoff later. When instead, the more interesting choices, he shows back up. That's Uh, the interesting choice. No, I don't think so. 
I don't know. It's I don't just, think it's more interesting for him to show up. But it's messy as fuck to just end it with no real understanding there. I don't like it. <laughs> Mostly because I wanted more of his character. <laughs> oh, sure. That's totally fine. I would have liked us to just cut off Flap at that point because he is a horrible human being. Yeah, oh no, I was God. sick to death of Flap. Sick to death. Okay. And I love me some young Jeff Daniels. Love Jeff. Love old Jeff Daniels. Love Jeff Daniels. Yes, fair point. Love Let's Jeff not be ageist. Just love Jeff Daniels. All about it. No, but, just. But, I mean, his character is the worst. the worst. Let's just let's be clear about what's happening here. Towards the end, we are having an active conversation about the fact that his wife is dying, and he is going to abandon his children. He is actively choosing to abandon his children. Uh huh. Now. I appreciate the fact that mom knows you're a shit father and you don't want him. Mm-hmm. So let's let's have the conversation because you don't want him. Let's make sure they go somewhere that's going to be good for them. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I appreciate the honesty of that conversation. But what the fuck? Why is it couched in a James L. Brooks, aw shucks, romance conversation? Yeah, like, oh, it's cute. Oh, look at my children are going to live with grandma. Bye, kids. I'm going to go fuck that lady at school. (laughs) Who he mentions during this whole I'm not taking the kids conversation. She's not that bad. She's not so bad if you get to know her. Fuck off. Get out of my hospital room, please. Go talk about your mistress somewhere else. No, no, no. That whole thing could have been avoided with, oh, you moved us here for her. I'm we're done. I'm moving the kids to Houston. Bye. Done. Mm-hmm. Never have to see Flap again. He doesn't give a fuck about the kids. He doesn't give a fuck about her. She's been having an affair. She ended the affair when she moved because she wasn't going to break up her family. But, oh, I'm literally just luggage to you. I'm done. Bye. Thank you. I would have appreciated that more. Yeah. That that <laughs> was... That would have been more female empowering. Yeah, that was that was frustrating on a lot of levels. I feel like we're just dive nose diving right into writing. <laughs> uh, yeah, we 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 skip we we didn't even bother with money, which I'll I'll mention here very quickly. Eight million dollar budget made a hundred and nine million dollars. So like gangbusters on the money portion. The writing this is based on a novel by Larry McMurtry, who is a Texas legend. Hmm. He actually passed away earlier this year, uh, March twenty fifth. 2021 some of his other works that have been adapted for the screen hud the last picture show lonesome dove and he's also responsible for the screenplay for brokeback mountain oh okay so this is his concept which you know how far did we deviate from the concept is what i want to know a lot well not a lot but there's there's some pieces there that that are missing i would like to read the book I don't, I don't. It makes me it makes me curious as to what's deeper in the book that he stripped away that made it so fucking buck wild. James L. Brooke, who is also our director, he is responsible for the screenplay. And you you definitely know that name. So before this, he created Room 222, the Mary Tyler Moore show, Rhoda, Phyllis, Lou Grant, and Taxi. And he also wrote Starting Over. After this, he did broadcast news, the Tracy Ullman show co-created this tiny animated series called The Simpsons that is still going. Uh-huh. As good as it gets, Spanglish, and how do you know? So, like, dude can write some shit. He could have done nothing with the rest of his life before this movie was made. Yeah. And he'd still be a Hall of Famer. <laughs> sure. He could have just produced crap <laughs> and been fine. One of the elements that he removed from this movie was that in the book patsy and flap had an affair oh they hint at it in the movie but it's completely removed from it it's it it does actually happen in the book that makes a shit ton more sense yeah it does yeah they hint at it when flap is saying goodbye to her Mm -hmm. um aurora gives them this mean look and it's just like oh and then they instantly part ways so it's kind of hinted at but it's not and right at the end when he goes and sits down next to her at the funeral yeah Yeah, it's it's hinted that something has happened between them but it's still so it's just messed up which like they didn't really to me in this movie they didn't explain who patsy was very well 
because at first I was like, is she the sister? Yeah. 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 I, I, I'm like, who, who's Patsy? So that's, that's the big deviation. Um, there's uh, someone else that Aurora's dating called the general. Um, he actually shows up in the sequel instead. There is a sequel to this movie. Hmm. It's considered <laughs> like the worst sequel ever made. That's impressive. I, yeah. So we've, we've talked a lot about the story. Uh, we should move on to our director, who is James L. Brooks. This, this is his directorial debut. After this, he directed Broadcast News, As Good As It Gets, Spanglish, and How Do You Know, which he also wrote. In interviews, Shirley MacLaine said that James L. Brooks played weird head games with the cast and liked to keep everyone terrorized, on edge, and in a state of chaos. And she said that it got so bad that she actually drove to the airport while the movie was in production to quit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fuck this movie. Mm. God damn it. Leave Shirley alone. No, you, you can fuck with Shirley. Really? Shirley can give as good as that woman gets. Well, that's fair. <laughs> um, yeah. What do, what do we think about uh, James L. Brooks's directing? Well, die in a fire now that I know that. Yeah, it, it sounds it sounds pretty craptastic. It sounds uh I don't I don't like this that directing style. I don't no. care for it. I didn't care for it then. I don't care for it now. I know a lot of directors who consider consider themselves auteurs still do that kind of bullshit and it is a bullshit. Yeah, I'm not I'm not really a fan of that. No. For a movie that's supposed to be a comedy. Right? Yes. Like, I get it. There's very serious dramatic tension going mm-hmm. on. But at the end of the day, this is a dramedy. There's a whole lot of funny shit going on. Yeah. Again, it's like he's raising the stakes to 5,000 on everything that's going on with this production when it doesn't need to be that intense. I don't think that's entirely fair. Like, I don't, I don't think that's fair at all. Well, he's if he's pushing his actors to that kind of edge for scenes like, I don't know, Jack Nicholson trying to reach into Shirley MacLaine's bra and her almost breaking his hand. Again, that's that's physical comedy. I don't know why you need to f- feel the need to play head games when you're, half of your movie is doing just dumb jokes. Well, most of what happens between Jack Nicholson and Shirley MacLaine's character is completely improvised. I believe so that. So it has nothing to do with James L. Brooks. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. So, well, he's clearly uh, creating a, chaos, a a weird, chaotic work environment, which I don't like. And that doesn't, yeah, which does not foster professionalism either. He's trying to create this like, oh, if we've got tension, that means we'll have that magic, which is like, no, how no. about everyone just acts? It just makes yeah. it really weird then. That's what the vibe we get is is just awkwardness. Well, we've talked about there are times where that's necessary or there's times where it's like things aren't working. We need to do something different. Or there's a time where a particular scene calls for chaos, calls for tension, calls for everyone has to be super goosey loosey today because this this is going to get to us if we're not. But that's not every scene in a given movie. That's not every single day on a set. That's just not okay at all. And especially given the text of this particular movie, that is so far off base. No. Yeah, it's just not. Yeah, I don't I don't like it. And it's super weird. And it given the note about Shirley and Jack, it makes it sound to me like they're just like, we know what our assignment is. We're good. (laughs) Those two are so good. They go. Okay, well, this guy clearly doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, so we're just gonna make this work. <laughs> yeah, like what was I think? Mean, wow, what was that? Oh, uh, the movie we did during our last Oscar series where uh, Michael Caine was concerned about not getting any direction, and the directors told him, "I I hired you to do to do your job. I don't think I should have to do it for you." Yeah, that was uh, the man who would be king. John yes. Huston looked at Michael Caine and went. <laughs> I'm paying you a lot of money to do this, Michael. I expect you to know how to do the job yourself. There you go. Like I, I hired you to do the job. Show up, do it. <laughs> I'm not gonna direct. I don't. You don't need any direction. Okay. Well, so that explains why those two feel like they have chemistry, as they do. And a lot of yeah. other actors in this movie feel really fucking awkward because nobody gave them an environment to feel safe enough to be their characters. Yeah, that I think is 100% fair. And or if it's chaotic, you just never know what it's going to be. You don't know what's 
what's the set going to be today? So is today going to be safe and fluffy and rainbows or is today going to be super fucking tense and not no fun? And like, and that reads in the movie. Yeah. Because the movie's so tonally all over the place. Mm -hmm. It's riding a fucking roller coaster the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get, let's get into our cast because they really do make this movie. The, The parts that are amazing, it's all them. The, the movie is watchable mostly because of the people in it. And we're going to start with one Shirley MacLaine, who we have talked about before on probably the best film David has ever made me watch in the entirety of the time that I have known him. It's true. Before this, she was in The Trouble with Harry, Around the World in 80 Days, The Matchmaker, Some Came Running, Can Can, The Apartment, that was the film I was referencing, Ocean's Eleven, The Children's Hour, Irma La Douce. Gambit, Sweet Charity, Two Mules for Sister Sarah, The Turning Point, Being There. After this, Cannonball Run 2, Steel Magnolias, Waiting for Light, Postcards from the Edge, Defending Your Life, Guarding Tess, Bewitched, In Her Shoes, Rumor Has It, Valentine's Day, Bernie, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, and Noelle. What do we think of Shirley MacLaine? Class act. Fantastic. Ugh, a national treasure. I love her. I love her so much. She's so good. And- my favorite thing is when she comes out of that house dressed for that date, oh my that lunch God. date, wearing that outfit, which is just like, one, you look fucking hot, <laughs> but also you look so ridiculous. Oh my God. That you hair. both look hot and ridiculous. And then I had, I, of course, we all know the scene has been redone so many times where the woman gets in, her hair gets ruined by the convertible, but I'd never seen this. Oh my god. Oh my god. And then and then she goes to the bathroom and she's wearing a hairpiece. And I love I'm just like I was not expecting that, but of course. But my favorite part is before that, grown women come prepared for life's unexpected moments. <laughs> and then like the, the I love like the seatbelt that she can't put on she because it's adjusted for someone who is slightly um slimmer than her. And yeah. she's just like, fuck it, I'm not putting this on. <laughs> and I'm just like, that is such a petty Texas woman thing to do because she lives in Houston. I was like, yes, that is such a fucking lady thing for her to do. Well, and a Northeast transplant to Texas. Yeah, she she is uh, definitely a society woman. It is yeah. so like, it is so, it's perfect. It's perfect. I loved it. I loved all of that. It's so mm-hmm. great. Do you have the top? It was in the garage at home. Yeah. <laughs> so great. She's magnificent. My favorite is before that, when she finally cannot deal with all the dickheads fawning over her and runs out of the house with her shoes off to finally ask him out to lunch. And we find out it's been three years. No, no, no. She doesn't ask him to lunch. She asks him if he's, if he's, she asks him when he's going to take her to lunch. Oh, that's right. Oh no! It hasn't been three. It's been eight years. Yeah, it's been it's eight that, years. It's that backwards. It's the backwards. Oh, he asked me to lunch. Yeah, <laughs> that bullshit. I'm asking a man out, but I'm not asking him. Crap. Him in a robe yeah. that barely covers him. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is this? Okay. <laughs> oh no! It's like like impatient boys usually miss dessert. <laughs> Oh my god. That was a great line. Like that was that was great too. I was like We're gonna need to get drunk to make me lose. No, to kill the bug that's up your ass. <laughs> Those two together. So great. So good. So so fun. Like you can tell they were having fun together. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she's perfect. She's great. <laughs> and then of course there's the scene that that the other scene that people reference all the time. My daughter needs her drugs. Yes. All the time. You're just like, yeah. Yeah. I, I get it. Nope, that makes sense. What the fuck is wrong with you people? Do your job. Which, you know, don't yell at your healthcare workers because they have the drugs. Yeah. But also, come on! She also plays it so perfectly because of everything that we've seen of her character sure. throughout the entire movie. Sure. Yeah. Like, that's, I think, what makes it pay off so well, is mm-hmm. all the context. Yeah. Oh, sure. And then, and then just the little at the end, thank you very much, and walk away. Yeah. yeah. Which is so her. <laughs> well, I, yeah. Like, I, I like when she admits that, oh, I don't like that I need him. Yeah. Yeah. 
I liked that we started seeing her being vulnerable because she refused to be vulnerable. She was not going to be vulnerable to her daughter. She was not going to let herself be vulnerable to that trio of dudes. And yep. now it's kind of like, oh, damn, I like him. Mm-hmm. I like him being around. Um, and like, you know, the second those kids showed up, he was like, nope, I did not sign up to be grandpa. I'm going back home. Uh-huh. And like, you could just see it happening. And she's just like, huh? Yeah, it's just all that coming. But uh, she's she's fabulous. Uh, she turned down the role of Dr. Lesh in Poltergeist to play Aurora in this movie. Oh, she would have been very interesting in Poltergeist. That was in 1982. Yeah. They they were specifically looking for mediums. So yep. she would have been great. But because of her connections to that, she she would have been kind of perfect for the role. Yeah, she would have really been wonderful. But I feel like she belonged here. Mm-hmm. James L. Brooks settled on Shirley MacLaine to play Aurora because she was the only one who saw it as a comedy. So she okay. was the one who looked at that, who looked at those scenes and saw like, oh, I can play this. I know how to make this funny. Yeah. Which is good because if you only look at this as a very serious movie, this is a long two hours to get through if you can't find anything in this funny. Yeah. I can totally get why most most people approaching this story would immediately think, oh, serious drama. Sure. And then it was like, that's not the point at all. <laughs> well, yeah. Aurora's ridiculous. She's, yes. absur- she's an absolutely absurd woman. Yeah. There's reasons behind that. And there's there's weight behind that. But you have to accept the fact that she is absurd. It's kind of like the, the reverse of what we normally think of, where it's like you play the comedy seriously. Mm-hmm. In this, you're playing the drama comedically. A little bit. Yeah. Like you're going for a little more broad and that lightens the heaviness that we have to deal with. We do have two who could have been better. No one? Fuck. (laughs) But we have to entertain the thoughts. Mm. They're not bad. They are not bad. (laughs) First one being Louise Fletcher. Well. Miss Nurse Ratchet. We do love her. We do love Nurse Ratchet. We do. And it would have been really fun to see her be polite to Jack Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been that would have been fun. Oh God! Just 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 to see it turned on its ear, just cause that would have been a bizarro world, but amazing nonetheless. And Janet Lee, huh? Interesting. In fact, real life mother daughter duo Janet Lee and Jamie Lee Curtis were considered for the roles of Aurora. And Emma. Oh my God. That would have been adorable. That I think would have had a lot more emotional weight. Yeah. But it would have had to be both of them. It couldn't have just sure. been it sure. couldn't have just been one or the other. Sure. There's there's no way it would have been worthwhile if it was just one or the other. Mm-hmm. All right. Next we've got Deborah Winger as Emma Horton. We literally just talked about her on an officer and a gentleman. So that's uh-huh. what she did before. And after this. She didn't do a ton. Uh, there was actually a documentary made about her called Searching for Deborah Winger. And her most recent television credit is The Ranch. Part of that is because she was behaving erratically on set because she was fighting a severe cocaine addiction. Oh, golly. That was going on during this movie. And at one point, she and Shirley MacLaine got into a shoving match. Shirley don't take shit from anyone. Yeah. No. Never has. Yeah. She's, she's famous for that. Yeah. And Deborah Winger had started to get a reputation for being difficult. Her and Richard Gere did not get along. Uh, her and Ivan Reitman did get along on Legal Eagles. And her and Linda Carter did not get along on Wonder Woman either. So you're not get along with Linda Carter. I mean, come on. Linda Carter, Shirley MacLaine, you're not you're not batting very well there. It's a shame. Like, here's the thing. I'm really glad Deborah Winger is finding a lane for herself again. Sure. Yeah, because she has gotten more and more of these these TV roles to mm-hmm. do, and I believe she has like future credits coming up. Yes, because she's so good, <laughs> she really is. She one hundred percent holds her own against Shirley MacLaine. Yeah, she also gets that it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and plays it that way. And the problem being the script, because like we said, it goes all over the place. But what's really kind of incredible about her acting is that she matches the weird energy jumps yes. throughout the entire story. She yeah. matches the energy of the scene she's in. Yes. Yeah. So she's always believable, even though the scenes aren't. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what's kind of incredible about what she does there. And it's it's more proof after seeing her in An Officer and a Gentleman. We're just like, God, she's great. She's really good. I mean, she's amazing. And she's very emotive. And yeah, she, I mean, I said it before, she holds her own against Charlene McClain on screen. Mm-hmm. So while I'm sad that their uh, behind the scenes did not work out so great. And, you know, she was battling some addiction issues. I'm I'm glad those seem to be behind her for now. I'm glad that uh, she's finding success now. I think maybe some of my favorite scenes with her are when uh, she's with Flap early in the movie. Yes. Yeah. And he's a schlub, but you can tell she's in love with them. Sure. And the way that she smiles and laughs at his just dumb jokes Yes. Mm -hmm. is so sweet. Yes. Yeah. She's got a lot of life in her. Yeah. yeah, and then like her with her kids is also pretty adorable. Like you get to say one mean thing to me a year, so I guess that's it. Yeah, <laughs> just like all right, meeting meeting the nice guy at the supermarket. Go to the car. Yeah. I've done that with a child before. Yeah, <laughs> totally, it's totally perfect. Well, in addition to uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, we have one additional who could have been better, Jodie Foster. She turned down the role uh, due to her commitment at Yale. No. That's a pretty reasonable commitment, I will say. I still almost feel like Jody would have, not that she was too young, but she would have felt too young. Deborah is convincing, not as a teen, but as like a very youngish graduating adult mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. mother. The time span works really well yeah. for her. Age wise, she feels right. Jody at some point would have been like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Jody, and this is not knocking her. She went from twelve to thirty-five overnight, pretty much, <laughs> and she's still there. Like right now, I think she's like just turned fifty, and it's like, oh, you just turned fifty-five minutes ago because you've been stuck at thirty-five. And she's just one of those women who, like, she just once she hit grown up, she just has been a mature woman the whole time. All right, we move on to Mr. Jack Nicholson as Garrett Breedlove. We have talked about him a handful of times. We recently talked about him in our 75 Oscar series. Um, you know who Jack Nicholson is. You have seen one of his movies. Or you have seen him in the front row at the Oscars when he was still going. Yeah, he is, he is retired from the Oscars since he got his last one for as good as it gets. He's, he's good. pretty much retired from acting at this point. Uh, he shows up every now and then, but he's done. Yeah. Like He's good. I love the Robin Williams joke. Don't mind me. I got one for every decade. Uh, <laughs> which is accurate. The character of Garrett Breedlove does not appear in the novel and was mm. written specifically for Burt Reynolds. Uh-huh. Reynolds loved the script, but was committed to star in Stroker Ace. And so we've got some really cool people who were approached for this role. Paul Newman. Oh, man. And Harrison Ford. Oh. Both turned down the role. Harrison Ford was still a little too young for this. Especially against Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. 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 Paul Newman. Paul Newman, though. (sighs) The Mm. only problem here is Paul Newman was coming off of the verdict where he was playing a ragged much older alcoholic character. Mm -hmm. And I feel like at that point, people thought of Paul Newman as elder statesman Paul Newman and not necessarily Jack Nicholson, though Jack Nicholson feels like he's playing a lot older than his age in this movie. I think so too. Yeah. But I have one that I think beats both of those guys. Oh my. James Garner. Well, shit. Well, I mean. (sighs) If you're not going to get your A-list, James Garner's not a is a really, really great choice. James Garner is an A-list guy. Not as A-list as Jack Nicholson. He is older. He is an older gentleman. He is a cowboy. Fuck you. He's he's tier B, okay? Ow! <laughs> <gasps> <gasps> How dare you support your local sheriff? Compared to Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're not going to get Jack Nicholson to bank this role on, James Garner is the absolute perfect 1B choice. <laughs> By everything you just said about James I Garner. I love James Garner. Jack Nicholson I, I is don't better. Think you do. I don't think you do. Just not as <laughs> just not as much as you love him, Diana. That's true. This is so disrespectful to James Garner. 
rude. Disrespectful to who? James Garner or you? Both. <laughs> Both. The, the other thing about James Garner is I don't... The thing about Jack Nicholson is he's so good with the sleaze. And James Garner yes. was never that great at the sleaze. It was always a joke if he was sleazy. But I think the sleaze comes from Jack Nicholson. I don't know how much sleaze is in the script. I mean, fair, but that makes the movie for me. Like That makes that character. So much. The fact that he's a... That scene with him and the girls and like busting his face is so fucking amazing. Not because of how he treats them, but because of how much of a fuck up he is. Like, it's perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shirley MacLaine says that Jack Nicholson would do crazy things on set, like show up practically naked. And then a lot of their scenes were improvised. That sounds like Jack Nicholson. Yeah. The man doesn't give a fuck. Well, and that have. might not always be the greatest thing, but it does achieve very good results on screen. Well, the practically naked is inappropriate. Yes, that very. no longer plays. That, that's what I mean. Uh, yeah. No, that's not acceptable. No. So just no. Um, not okay. No, it was a diff- I know it was a different time. Different time. Still not okay. But Jack Nicholson talked with several real astronauts while in Houston in preparation. Makes sense. I like, too, that he doesn't. He doesn't try to use that as a calling card. Mm-hmm. I know some of that is the way the script is, but like mm-hmm. the way that he plays that character is like the astronauts will not isn't what is what's important to me. Like the story I might use as a calling card, but honestly, mm-hmm. that's not actually what I valued of that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that makes it way more interesting and fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next, we have Jeff Daniels as Flap Horton. Uh, Before this, he was on Ragtime, and he was on a couple of TV things. But after this, he was in The Purple Rose of Cairo, Heartburn, Something Wild, Arachnophobia, Gettysburg, Speed, Dumb and Dumber, Fly Away Home, Two Days in the Valley, 101 Dalmatians, Pleasantville, My Favorite Martian, The Hours, Gods and Generals, The Squid and the Whale, Good Night and Good Luck, RV, Infamous, The Lookout, Mama's Boy, State of Play, Away We Go, Howl, Looper, Dumb and Dumber 2, the Newsroom, Steve Jobs, The Martian, Godless, and The Looming Tower. Like, the man can do it all. And, like, that's not also including the fact that the man has had a fabulous stage career as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love him. And he's a baby here. Love him. <laughs> little baby. Those little baby face. His little baby his face. Little smoosh it. And he's, his face is so tiny. You smooshed his little face. This is when all of his characters were hapless instead of completely composed. I don't know. I think he can still do hapless really well. If he yeah. really wants to, but like most it's of his there. roles now are like government agent of some kind or another. I don't know. In The Martian, you could see that that sarcastic fuck you part of him in, was in there. Yeah. I liked oh. it. Absolutely. But that's the thing, is like it's 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 one thing for that. It's, in a it's another suit. thing to be bumbling. And he's his whole early career is just bumbling, dude. Well, you know, he's a really tall white man. Mm-hmm. That's that's what's there for him. Now. Yeah. That's his wheelhouse. That's how it goes. With a goofy face. As a baby face, face, goofy face. He can make goofy faces and he looks exactly like Dave Coulier. Very true. That is his doppelganger, and the fact that Hollywood has not made them play brothers is offensive to me. Yes. It's offensive to me. I mean, I'll always remember him for Dumb and Dumber, so. If that's the worst thing you're remembered for, that's okay. Yeah. What do we think about Jeff Daniels' performance in this film? It's really hard to gauge his performance when that character is written so gaslighting and terrible. Yeah, it's really hard when I feel like if they had cut it about three quarters of the way through, it would have been great. He is so punchable. Yes. His, he has the perfect p- face to punch in this movie. Like, I think he's doing the best with what he has, but sure. my God, what he has is not anything. <laughs> Here, here's what I'll say. I understand why she likes him in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Because he is really good at setting boundaries with Aurora. And he yes. encourages his wife to do that. He does. Yes. He does encourage that. Yes, he does. That is like the one healthy thing. He's just like, she needs to respect our marriage and she needs to call five minutes late. Like, he knows he's never going to win, that she's going to call every fucking day. 
she needs to call five minutes she needs to call later like that's the boundary and so i appreciate that that's good but then just the second she suspects him it's gaslighting the entire Uh, fucking time you're you're just yeah it's just and then oh my god her the kids awful and it's not that kind where like you can redeem that character later It's that kind where eventually you start to go, hey, this is past the point of a realistic character. This is the fucking writer's decision, and I can't deal with it anymore. Yeah, like, well, then I feel like they were going too far to make you hate him. Yeah. So that you understood, well, clearly he doesn't Mm -hmm. care about these kids, so of course he wants to get rid of them. It's just like their mom is dead when mom dies they go with dad he has to like this is when you redeem him and be like they're my kids of course i'm going to take care of them you either redeem him or he abandoned you should have got way yeah, earlier like, that was that was the yeah. that was the bigger mistake like if yeah. you were gonna keep if you weren't gonna get rid of him you had to have him redeem himself at that time this yeah. had to be the time where he was just like i've taken you for granted because i always assumed you'd always be here to take care of the kids and now you're not. And now I have to do it because you're not yeah. going to be here. And then the line lands so much better when he says, she's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. Then it becomes one of those heartstring moments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But instead, it's just god awful. Yeah. And it sucks because, again, it's a waste. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a waste. Next, we have John Lithgow as Sam Burns. Uh, we've talked about him. So sweet. Yeah, we, thought, we love John Lithgow. Before this, he was an obsession. All that jazz. Blowout. I'm dancing as fast as I can. The world according to Garp. Twilight Zone. The movie. The day after. After this, he was in Footloose. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Across the Eighth Dimension. 2010, the year we make contact. The Manhattan Project. Harry and the Hendersons. Memphis Bell. Ricochet. Ad play in the fields of the Lord. Raising Cane. Cliffhanger. The Pelican Breed. Third Rock from the Sun. A Civil Action. Rugrats and Bears. Shrek. Orange County, Kinsey, Dream Girls, Confessions of a Shopaholic, Dexter, Leap Year, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, New Year's Eve, The Campaign, This is 40, Interstellar, The Accountants, Daddy's Home 2, Pitch Perfect 3, Late Night, Pet Cemetery, The Crown, Bombshell, and Perry Mason. And still going. And everything. Still fucking going. Unstoppable machine. John Lithgow in this movie, so sweet. He needs precious. a hug so bad. So precious. He just, he needs a hug. He needs somebody to just cuddle him and, and buy him ice cream. Like, I need a picture of you. It has a picture of Flap in it. That's okay. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> it's so sad. No. He's so sad. But like, I'm kind of okay. Like, I'm, I'm, the only reason I'm mad we don't have more of him is because we had so much Flap and Flap sets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm kind of okay. And I totally understand that she's like, well, I'm leaving and I'm not, I'm not going to split up my family for you. And she didn't tell him she was sick, so why would we see him again? Yeah. Yeah, I I think you're right that if we redeem Flap, and, and Flap's, you know, not necessarily like the perfect guy after this, but if Flap comes in and makes that decision that, no, these are my kids, I'm going sure. to raise them, then at least that has this nice full circle moment in the movie. Sure. Yeah. I mean, his character kind of does feel superfluous. That's why it's a testament to John Lithgow that he's so fucking good that you love it <laughs> and that you find it really interesting and good for the story. I don't I don't think it is. I don't think it is superfluous. I think it shows that she had options. Yeah. And she made a choice. She made a choice to have an affair because she knew exactly what she was doing. And she oh, yeah. says, I, I think it's better that I don't know for sure what Flap is doing. I'm doing this for me. Yeah. Yep. Which, okay, good. So she's not like revenge fucking this other guy. She's like, no, this is for me. Yeah. Like, that, I think that's healthier <laughs> in terms of why to have an affair. Yeah. She's owning her actions. And he genuinely loves her and cares about her. Sure. But he also doesn't believe that he needs to put any kind of firm thing on it or somehow make it more than what it's going to be. Well, you know, if she said, I will stay, I'll leave flap. If you leave your wife, he probably would have. Absolutely. Yeah. He would have. Absolutely. So, so she had an option there, but she didn't take it. No, because she wasn't going to do that. And that kind of makes a lot of sense. I think, I think you're right. I think what it is is if we could have had a little less of Flap's bullshit and a sure. little bit more of time with Sam, then mm-hmm. I think it, that that balance would have been better. 
Because we would have enjoyed more of his character and the impact of Flap would have been a lot better. Where we where we wouldn't eventually get to the point where we're no longer mad at Flap, we're mad at the writer. <laughs> John Lithgow was called in to replace another actor. His part was filmed in three days during a break from filming Footloose. Uh, okay, oh. well, that that also explains why there might not be as much of him. Nobody seems to know who the original actor was, but media speculation has linked it to either George DeZunda or Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges, though. And the, the, the only thing about Jeff Bridges is Jeff Bridges at this time looks an awful lot like Jeff Daniels. Yeah, those two. I know, but like, how cool would that have been? Mm-hmm. I don't know. He was he was busy making Starman with our good friend John Carpenter. Oh yeah. All right. So now we're gonna move on to some R pawns, random people of note. Uh, we've got Danny DeVito as Vernon Dalhart. He is one of the trio of gentlemen. He's playing a, a southern gentleman, which I find hilarious. Oh my god. There I, was so much I, more potential. I know. I need a whole movie of Danny DeVito playing a Texas cowboy oil guy. Like I needed him to almost be acting like her butler. Like every time we see her, we should have seen one of those gentlemen doing something for her, like washing her car, fixing something in the house, installing drapes, like just doing something. So we knew they were all trying to get with her and she just could not care. But it's just like, well, if you're here, you might as well make yourself useful. Pretty much. Yeah. They should have just been in the background. Yeah. Would have been perfect. Like it would have been amazing. Mm -hmm. Then we have Albert Brooks as the voice of Rudyard. At the very beginning, he's the voice of Aurora's husband. Oh. <laughs> Credited as A. Brooks. A. Brooks. And Mary Kay Place is the voice of Doris. She's on the phone. Ah. Mary Kay Place has been everything. She plays Maria Bamford's mom on Lady Dynamite. And oh. she's, one of, she's one of those, hey, that lady. <laughs> oh, you. All right. Trivia. Trivia. Although not specifically stated, the bulk of the story takes place during the late 70s. A 1979 wall calendar is visible midway through the movie. And during this time, NASA needed Garrett's service as an astronaut the least. The final Apollo mission was in 1979. And the next manned space flight was the first space shuttle mission in 1981. Oh. It makes a lot of sense that he's like, what the hell am I going to do with my life now? <laughs> mm-hmm. The Renoir painting given to Aurora by her mother is referenced throughout the movie. When Aurora tells Emma she considered giving it to her as a wedding gift, when Emma calls Aurora asking to borrow money, and then when Aurora uses it as an excuse to invite Garrett to her bedroom, the exact value of the original portrait is difficult to determine because that time period, very few have been sold. So it's safe to assume that if Aurora had sold the painting at an actual auction house in 1980, it would have sold for well over $100,000 and close to a million. Ooh. Like that thing, money. We're looking yeah. at eight figures in today's money for sure. Probably, yeah. Youth. Aurora lives in the River Oak section of Houston, Texas. So for all of our Houston people, y'all will know where that is. I feel like I've heard that before being like, yeah, that's that's the nice part. <laughs> mm-hmm. Early in the film, Emma and Patsy listen to an Ethel Merman album. One of Merman's signature roles was in Gypsy, where she plays a controlling mother whose daughters rebel in order to escape her. Not unlike Emma. <laughs> all right. A little bit more about the sequel. In the Evening Star, which came out in 1996, Aurora talks to a picture of Emma, who is now deceased. Director Robert Harling had to get permission from Deborah Winger for the production to use her likeness. She replied, you are welcome to use my picture, and Shirley MacLaine is welcome to throw darts at it after you are done shooting. (laughs) This is an allusion to the intense rivalry that sprang up between the two actresses while shooting the film. Yeah. You know, at least she knew. Yep. She knew. She knew she had... She had gotten better and was like, Shirley can uh, can be as mad at me as she needs to be. <laughs> I appreciate that self-reflection. I understand yeah. she, she might want to throw darts at it, and that's okay. Huckleberry Fox and Troy Bishop, who played Emma's sons, got very good reviews when the movie came out. Their character's deathbed scene with Emma is routinely cited as the best scene in the movie, possibly one of the best deathbed scenes ever. However, they were not cast in the Evening Star, even though they were the right ages for the roles. Oh. That 
I mean, I know, I, I I already know based on what you've told us that it's considered one of the worst movie sequels ever made. But that adds to that bad decision making. Mm-hmm. Let's get a kid with a little bit more prestige, huh? Patsy and Aurora face off several times, and she is considered the main antagonist in the Evening Star. It's like, why? Like, <laughs> I don't understand. Because you have to have a sequel somehow, I guess. Right. <laughs> And now we get into awards. This film was nominated for uh, some Oscars and it won some. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Original Score. It won Best Picture. It won Best Director. Uh, James L. Brooks was the fourth director to win an Academy Award for their directorial debut. Previous winners were Delbert Mann for Marty, Jerome Robbins for West Side Story, and Robert Redford for Ordinary People. It won for Best Adapted Screenplay, which this one's a little bit funny. This also gets into some of our who could have been betters. Jennifer Jones originally owned the rights to the books and wanted to play Aurora. Sissy Spacek was originally scheduled to play the Deborah Winger role. Jones and her husband, millionaire Norton Simon, originally commissioned the screenplay from Brooks as a comeback film. Brooks decided that Aurora should not have to be tailored to a particular actress and persuaded Paramount to purchase the rights from Jones and Simon. And on accepting his Oscar for the adapted screenplay, Brooks especially thanked Jennifer Jones Simon. She agreed to sell the rights. Hey. They're the ones who hired him to write it. Yeah. So yeah. That's, appro- that's very appropriate. Like That also speaks well of because she didn't like trash him later on, mm-hmm. yeah. at least in any public way. Sure. That speaks to him going in and having that conversation and them agreeing. Yeah. Transfer of power peacefully. Here's the thing. Even if she's pissed about how it worked out, he's honoring the fact that he got this job from her. Yeah. I don't know if I like these wins, though. <sighs> well, for Best Supporting Actor, both Jack Nicholson and John Lithgow were nominated. Jack Nicholson won. This was mm-hmm. his second Oscar. Well earned. I mean, yeah, sure. he's so good. We'll give him that. And for Best Actress, both Shirley MacLaine and Deborah Winger were nominated. Shirley MacLaine won. Good. She's better. <laughs> Well, this is one of only five films to receive two Academy Award nominations for Best Actress. The other four are All About Eve for Anne Baxter and Betty Davis, Suddenly Last Summer with Katherine Hepburn and Elizabeth Taylor, Turning Point with McLean and Anne Bancroft, so she's been here before, and <laughs> Thelma and Louise with Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon. McLean is the only one to win the Academy Award for Best Actress for her performance. The thing about this is that one of the things that David and I have figured out with the 2021 Oscars is that there are no actual rules on who gets uh, actor versus supporting actor. It's Mm -hmm. all in how you submit yourself. Okay. So it's not based on screen time. It's not what the studio says. It's how you get submitted either by yourself or by the production. Yep. Okay. That's what they decide, which is utter fucking bullshit. (laughs) It it truly is. Yeah, it is. There should there should be parameters. Yeah. There, there just should be. A lot of people decided that Deborah Winger made a mistake by putting herself in the best actress category. Like as a young as a relative newcomer. Yeah. She could have positioned herself better in the supporting actress category and won. Yeah. And that Shirley McLean had been in the industry for over 20 years and had been passed over for best actress several times, which I don't disagree. The only point I will make here is that. Deborah Winger is equally a best actress in this film. Yes. She is. This is not a supporting role. You could just as easily say Deborah Winger is the actor and Shirley MacLaine is the supporting. Mm -hmm. You could. If you're going to make the argument that Deborah is supporting, then you have to make the the argument that Shirley is supporting. I don't think that's fair. If I'm going to give someone an an award, I'm giving it to Shirley. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And when you judge them acting for acting, I mean, it's incredibly close, but Shirley MacLaine is able to do even more with what she has. Sure. And by rights from what we've heard, had to. (laughs) Well, yeah. On her way to the podium, Shirley whispered to Winger, half of this belongs to you, to which Winger reportedly replied, I'll take half. 
<laughs> Which is very, very cute and yeah. sweet. And I appreciate yes. I appreciate that cheekiness. And fair. Surely you would not have that award without Deborah having uh held you up. And yes. if it had gone the other way, it would have been the same. Yeah. That's absolutely. that's that's how that works. Um, especially in a film like this. Yeah. All right. Well, now that we've slogged our way through all of these terms. Let's see if we have any endearment with it, with our ratings. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did that. I did that. You did it. I did it. I you couldn't... did it. We had a really good one with Officer and a Gentleman in the last episode. So, <laughs> With every film, we pick a special rating system. So what's our rating system going to be? Is it going to be the headscarves? No. No. Is it going to be Jack Nicholson's Two Small Bathrobes? How many, how many glasses of wild turkey? Actually, it's the Renoir. How many Renoirs? It's got to be how the many Renoir. Renoirs. How many Renoirs? Okay. All right. We're going to start with David. This, it's interesting because this movie feels a little bit like the last view where we were like, wow, it's a hot mess, mm-hmm. but still. But in this case, I actually have to go a little bit lower. Okay. <sighs> I'm going to go two and a half because as great as the acting performances are, and this is, again, one of those movies that I'm like, you probably ought to sit down and see it just for the performances. But mm-hmm. man, the story is a hot mess. And Brooks's directing style, I mean, it's not something that you could know without learning the trivia, sure. but it also informs how the movie is on screen. That chaos that he bred made a chaotic movie when there's no reason that this had to be this way. And for that, I think as revered and beloved as this film is because of the performances it as a movie is not very good so i'm just splitting the middle and going two and a half okay okay yeah i don't i don't have like a a wildly in-depth analysis of i would also say two and a half just just because that's about about as much as i enjoyed it uh <laughs> 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 this movie will just make you make a huh face the entire time. Like that. Kind of. That was about where I was at most of the time. I was just like, oh. What? Okay. Mm. okay. <laughs> this this is happening now. Well, I, I, I think we have a consensus because I also was going to go with the 2.5. I mean, the story just needs, it needs help. It needs help to tell a, a more cohesive, to tell the story that lives up to the reputation of this film. Like truly, and uh, the direction is like, meh, meh. but I'll keep I'll keep her cast. I'll keep her cast. I'll keep their performances because uh, despite the set antics and um, our one of our actresses' addiction issues, they did a, an amazing job. So I would like them to be able to do it again, um, maybe without the chaos. So I'll keep that with a two point five. Yep. All right. Well, uh, Kate, thank you for coming to help us dissect this interesting interesting issue of mother-daughter issues um if people want more kate where can they find more kate you can find me on the wonderful podcast that i make with diana that i am the co-creator co-gm of christmastide ohio we are a kids on bikes actual play anthology podcast at christmastide oh on twitter um, we play kids on bikes. We are children. We get distracted by food and farm animals pretty frequently. We can go on adventures and have shenanigans and solve mysteries. And it's really adorable. You can also find me every other Monday streaming on the So Chatty Games Twitch channel, playing Dr. Where the F, D&D, space traveling, but D&D style. So it makes sense, I promise as much as D&D ever does. And uh, if you want to find me personally, uh, I have links to all of this stuff on my profile on Twitter at Argon Kitten, A-R-G-O-N-K-I-T-T-E-N. All right. Well, until next time. Have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.
mystic pizza so i wonder if the pizza is really mystical no it's not i've never seen that one so i don't know (laughs) i mean i've just seen the plot synopsis and i was like there's no mysticism going on here sadly you don't know david you've never seen it i haven't so hopefully i'm proven look for it i'm gonna look for the mysticism in the pizza giant scene with the ouija board yes the Mm. pizza is the ouija board it's just the name of the pizza place the, the tiles and the, the, the tiles in the kitchen. I am looking for the mysticism form. of, I'm going to see if Julie Roberts <laughs> is talking to me through the film. Anyways. There's a series uh, of have, clues. 